You're listening to Grace and Fire, brought to you by Emerging Women. Today my guest is Guru Jagat. Deemed the modern face of Kundalini Yoga, Guru Jagat brings a fresh perspective to this ancient practice. Guru Jagat is the founder of Rama Institute for Applied Yogic Science and Technology, a premier yoga school with locations in Venice, California, La Jolla, California, and Boulder, Colorado, offering classes, workshops, and group cleanses. She launched Rama TV, a new virtual media platform that makes Kundalini Yoga and yogic lifestyle accessible to people all over the world, as well as the indie yoga music label Rama Records, with a mission to trailblaze a new genre of music for mass consumption, in and out of the yoga space, on the dance floor, radio, and beyond. Guru Jagat will be a featured presenter at the 2015 Emerging Women Live Conference, October 8th to the 11th in San Francisco, California. We hope you can join us there live and in person. And if not, it will be live streamed for free. So please catch that at our website, emergingwomen.com. In today's episode, Guru Jagat and I spoke about the story behind her name and what exactly she means by Kundalini Yoga. Why this spiritual technology is so great for women and why Kundalini is spreading across the world. And what the interface between business and Kundalini is in her perspective and how they can augment each other. How women are hardwired to make a difference in the world. And finally, waking up every day with a conscious decision of how you are going to live that day. Here is my conversation, a technology of aliveness with the powerful and transformational Guru Jagat. Enjoy. Okay, hello and welcome, Guru Jagat. How are you? doing really well. Thank you for uh, having me on the show today. I'm so excited to do a deep dive into the mysteries and the practicalities of Kundalini Yoga with you and your whole spiritual, I guess what I say, Dharma, that's probably the wrong lineage, right? No, Dharma is not specific to lineage. It doesn't, you know, right? just The Buddhists yeah, don't, whatever they don't your... own Dharma, right? They don't. They don't. It's just, you know, it means, I use that word all the time. It means, you know, what, what you came here for and what you're uh, yeah. uncovering that you came here for. Yeah. So I know that you have been on tour quite a bit and are, you're expanding centers and you're traveling with your work. You were just in Europe. Am I right? Yeah. We're, yeah. We were just uh, touring um, Europe with uh, Rama TV and with some other uh, Kundalini Yoga, this big Kundalini Yoga festival that happens in France. And then we also took a huge group of people to um, all the mystical sites in southern UK, which was a very powerful experience, like life-changing. Wow. That sounds great. Kundalini Yoga in the south of France, that's something I would definitely sign up for. What? Yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad, right? Not bad. Why don't we start with, because some people are listening and they're like, what is kundalini yoga? So, and I even want to go back a little bit and maybe you can figure out the right way to talk about this, but your name is Guru Jagat. That is your name. And I would love to hear the story around that. And I think when we first talked, I said, you know, when I met you, 
I mean, you have such a strong energy. You definitely feel like you carry the weight of that name to me, just meeting you. I didn't know what to expect. And, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the background and how you came to be doing what you're doing and where your name comes from. And we could start sure. there. Yeah. Um, you know, Kundalini Yoga in its, at its essence is a technology of sound and I believe that we're really at the very, very surface, scratching the surface of what sound in this age of technology is going to open up for us, this age of space travel and the whole universe and our whole kind of daily perspective and also world perspective expanding so rapidly. So Kundalini Yoga at its basis has this sound technology, um, which you could call mantra, but really it's just these codes, these sound codes. And so Yogi Bhajan gave names that were destiny sound codes, we'll call it. So when he gave me my name, I was really young and everybody else was getting like, it was one of those moments where everybody else was getting like Tej and Jot and, um, Prem and like these kind of like sweet kind of simple names and then it came to me and it was like go to Jagat. Right? <laughs> and, um, I mean, it's like and you it's gotta exactly- fill those shoes when you get a name like that, right? <laughs> you do. I was I, I, cl- I was I really, you know, he wrote me a letter and I, I closed it and put it back in the envelope and was like, hmm, I don't know about all this. Um, but so basically in its essence it's a reminder, it's a code that can be activated of destiny and so that's um, I think sometimes people get confused because we did come from an age of people seeking gurus to take away their karma or to kind of um, save them from themselves and we know that didn't necessarily work so we're in a new age and in this age the the, the sound guru when you make it when it crosses your own neurology your lips it actually activates that heightened consciousness in you Uh So that's, you know, that's kind of the the code of that sound current. And so it means nothing around the kind of guru trips that we've seen in the spiritual world and the the time that we've come from. It's really more about a self-initiation. Right. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I so appreciate that, especially I do feel that our consciousness as human beings, just like physically we evolve, our consciousness is evolving and that the old standards of how we, you know, approach spirituality are evolving. And I think there was a time and a place where the guru did take karmas and, and not to get too esoteric, but I think that they really did serve a purpose, not that they don't serve a purpose anymore. But I just wonder at, you know, doing some kind of kundalini practice and dharma practice and meditation, if we're actually creating a new system out there for spiritual unfoldment. I feel that that's definitely part of what's happening on the planet. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe strongly in having a human teacher, uh, a guide who can show you through some of the realms of your own kind of subconscious and maybe places of of blindness. Uh, I believe strongly in that personally, and I have one and I also, you know, have a lineage. So um, I feel that's different than kind of putting 
people tried to pay Yogi Bhajan millions of dollars to initiate them in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, before he died. He was in Hollywood, so he many stories of celebrities and rich people trying to pay him a bunch of money to, quote-unquote, initiate them. And he would just say over and over again, we are now in a time of self-initiation. So it's not to not have a lineage or to not have a teacher or even a guru, but that this is a time of self-initiation. We have to activate the practice and the revelation in ourselves through our practices, through our daily choices to be more conscious, compassionate human beings. And I think that's the difference, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, and here you are in LA. And, you know, I just, I think it was last month after we first met, found this article on, you know, the hot, cool Kundalini yoga teacher taking LA by storm. And, and there just seems to be so much energy and interest and excitement around this new form of yoga. And I think there's a lot of mystery in it. I mean, I've done some classes and I know I feel good and I know that there's some practices, but could you help us understand exactly what you mean by kundalini yoga? Sure, yeah. I I think when we get that word, kundalini, it does create this kind of uh, esotericism that is not necessarily... Uh, necessary to participate in the practice. Now, we have the thing that's beautiful about Kundalini Yoga and Yogi Bhajan, the way that he delivered this great canon of teachings over 40 years, is that there are many different ways to participate in the technology, just like I have an iPhone, I'm using it in a certain way, it does certain things for my daily life, it makes my daily life easier in certain ways. Now, my mom just got her first iPhone, and she is participating in using it in a whole different way, but it's the same technology. And I think that, to me, is a very similar thing to the way that Kundalini Yoga, why it's so practical and why it's the mass appeal is growing by leaps and bounds. It's, in fact, the uh, biggest growing yogic movement, and I would like to say consciousness movement on the planet, especially oh, yeah. after traveling around all summer. I mean, it, just seeing what's happening and how people's lives are being touched, it's, I'm, I'm really, I'm feeling it more than I ever have. We're, we're at a tipping point, and there's a, there's a great revolution of evolution happening on the planet. So I'm very inspired right now. But um, in terms of Kundalini, how wonderfully practical it is, uh, you can literally do, and this is kind of the, the book that I'm writing for HarperCollins, this is the essence of it, which is basically, you know, there are a huge amount of people on this planet who don't want to wear spandex, who can't touch their toes, who don't want to do yoga. And I understand. I was one of those people. I resisted yoga for so long because the culture around it, and this was, you know, 20 years ago, the culture around it was so irritating to me. And everybody was like, yeah, I was just in India. And like, you know, it was just like this whole kind of, it felt Total. like a lot of white privilege. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, a lot of snobbery and pretentiousness around it. And I was like, I don't want to do what these people are doing. If this is what yoga is, because I didn't know what it was. So I was like, I don't want to do it. Um, and so one of the things and one of my huge messages around Kundalini is that it's so mass appeal because somebody can be sitting in a hospital bed and can't move any of their limbs or their body. They can do a pranayama that's going to give them energy to heal, energy to face whatever they're having to face 
whatever the, that's going to be something practical for them as well as I work with professional athletes and, you know, we're in Boulder, right? We just opened a studio in Boulder and all the athletes there, it can be participated in by very athletic bodies who want, you know, athletic performance or want greater mind focus or, you know, by business people, there's just such a plethora of things that you can engage in, in the technology. I think that's one of the great mass appeal uh, parts of it and why it is kind of taking the planet by a storm, one of the reasons. And then if you're an esoteric like myself, I mean, I love the esoterics. It's my favorite. Um, if you are that way and your mind works that way, you can get all esoteric on it, but you don't have to. And that's what I love about it. So, you know, the, the kind of essence of how I describe it is it's a technology. It's just like the iPhone and think about what the iPhone or what these smartphones have done for us in terms of um, the evolution of how we move through the world and how connected we are and uh, can be used in so many different ways. So it's very similar to that. So in terms of what we're used to with yoga, like downward facing dog and chaturanga or whatever, you know, the things that either we encounter in a gym or in just a regular kind of standard fair westernized yoga class, that is kind of a far cry from what the actual essence of yoga is in all lineages. It's We do a physical practice so we can have enough energy to command our minds so that our mind works for us and we're not a slave to it. I mean, that's kind of the basis. Right. So the way I think of kundalini is, you know, we've got like the real physical yoga and I, I kind of put the energy body in the physical, in between consciousness and the physical body. It's kind of like a in-between position. But Kundalini yeah. seems to work with consciousness, the energy of our human existence, as well as the body. Is it more energetic or, you know, working with energy and meridians and things like that? Or is there another well, way to approach that energy component of it? It definitely, I don't think it should be more energetic than other yogas. I just think the westernization and the kind of um, dilution yeah. of oh. what the yogic teachings are uh, totally. have become that. But I don't think that that, I actually, I, you know, I was an Ashtangi and I've had mm -hmm. lots of experience in different lineages. And I think pure essence of yogic practice on whatever level, whether you're doing a pranayama or you're doing something super physical or you're doing a meditation, the essence of it is all the same. Now, Yogi Bhajan said, and this is also why I think it's the, the Kundalini practice is so modern, is that Hatha or, or, you know, Hatha lineages of yoga take about 22 years to master. And we're in an age where things are changing so rapidly that I got my phone stolen when, while I was in Europe, and when I got back, it was a new phone, mind you. And when I got back to America, when it was replaced, it had a whole new operating system. Literally, like, everything was new. And that's, like, within a month. So that's wow. how quickly everything is changing. I think we're so used to it, just all the updates and everything. We, we don't even, we're just going so fast, we don't even realize it. But the reason Kundalini is so modern is that within 30 seconds, within a minute, within three minutes, and then if you want to get crazy, you know, 11 minutes or something longer, you can make a dramatic shift in how you feel, your mm -hmm. endocrine system uh, secretions, your hormonal balance, your organ. You just can make, so you don't need 22 years to master the system. And even though there's something beautiful and classic about that, who has the time? Right. Oh, my God. I don't. Plus the hour and a half Ashtanga classes. I mean, I remember those days. 
you know, I know. Like, and <laughs> like, you know, it's like 530 in the morning and oh, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I think we get an understanding. I'd love to kind of see how this applies more as we get into the content and the uh, applicability of it. You do yeah. a lot of work in application of these technologies and not exclusively. I know that it's not exclusive, but you have a lot for women. Yeah, and could you talk a little bit about how and why this, as you say, spiritual technology is really ripe for women and really ripe for women at this time? Yeah, so this is, the men used to complain a lot back when Yogi Bhajan was teaching um, in the early days because he would take the women for eight weeks every year to base, to train them. He'd take them away from their mother duties, from their professional duties, and he would do this thing called ladies camp, and it was basically a training ground for a new type of woman on the planet. And I now know more than ever why he did that and why he put so much, really, the the, the big thrust of his efforts and teaching um, towards the women, because him, the Dalai Lama, many other teachers have said it in different ways, that the change of consciousness on this planet is rooted in the change of consciousness in the Western woman, not even in women, but the Western woman. Mm-hmm. And so... I feel like a lot of times things like that end up getting fed into kind of the subconscious man-hating stuff. And Mm -hmm. I talk about this a lot um, because of whatever unprocessed stuff we have about our fathers or about whatever as women. And so it's really part of my... um, you know, gift with my own connection to these women's teachings to use them as a way to lift up all of humanity. And because women do hold certain keys of auric kind of energetic uh, responsibility uh, around their families and around their workplaces and around their relationships, if we upgrade, if we step up, if we stop being competitive, if we start to love ourselves, if we create security in women's systems. I I said this to a group of people. um, I think it was in Montreal or something a couple months ago. I said, what would happen if every woman on this planet felt good about herself? And someone went, Armageddon, (laughs) 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 which just tickled me. Um, Because, I mean, think about that. That's like so to create secure women who are not playing into a huge amount of hypnotic programming that comes from the media and comes from our programming and conditioning as, as children and all the whole educational system, to, to create a group of women who have that kind of security and kindness and compassion and true sisterhood, is it's a revolution. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so committed. And also these teachings give you a choice. They give you a choice as a woman to not buy the, like, aging, anxiety, Botox train of basically numbing yourself out so that you can look a certain way and forgetting who you truly are and your true power and, you know, the whole thing. It's just, it, it gives you some choices so you can, if you do choose that, which is fine, I don't... I'm I'm all about whatever choice is an educated choice and comes from an integral space. 
then you can choose it in that space of integrity rather than feeling like it's our last choice to keep our husbands and, you know, try to scurry towards the finish line in some way that's going to, it's just, it's desperate and it's sad. Yes, and, and it's, so rea- really, well, it's reactionary. It's not, it it's is. not sourced from a, an original place within us. Yeah, I, yeah. I see that a yeah. lot. Yeah. So what are you seeing as women come to you for your teachings? And I know you have a big following in LA and you're opening a place here in Boulder, which there's so much buzz about. And it's not all women, but a lot of women. What is it that you're seeing that they are getting the most? Or what are they bringing that you feel like needs to be addressed the most? I mean, you talked about lack of, you know, reactionary and being kind of trying to get out of that being told how to be a woman in the world. What else are you seeing? Well, I, I feel like the first thing that happens when a group of women come together, and I, I'm curious your take on this, but I think the first thing that happens is there has to be a disarming process because of the amount of shielding and defense mechanisms we've created around mm-hmm. being women and, and growing up in the ages that we grew up in and the whole institutions of marriage and motherhood and then all of the institution of, of how to be in the workplace and feminism and post-feminism. I mean, these are a lot of hangovers we're, we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, that's the first thing that I see is that there has there's a decompression process that happens in women's nervous systems because we're so subtle as beings as women, we are very subtle beings that we have to have a little bit of time and space to allow this kind of decompression to happen, which is why I I like to bring the women into community because that's the first kind of layer that has to come off. Um, And then once that comes off, you know, all hell breaks loose, which is the fun part, Um, you know, because then it's just like we're we're able to start to see each other and learn from each other. That's kind of one of the most profound things that I just, I relish having a group of women together is that without saying anything, without, it's not a cognitive learning, although there's that as well, of course, but without even saying anything, the kind of the the nourishment and the saturation of intelligence and the beauty and the uniqueness of each woman's kind of nervous system and, and subtle body or energetic body um, start to kind of marry into each other. And we just get this really beautiful quilt. It's like a, it's like a subtle body quilting circle. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden we're, we're in this very unique mandala of uh, gifts and talents and, and all the things, you know, the, the burdens that women are carrying with them and just all the, the beautiful sacredness of being and the complexities of being a woman in the modern, modern mm-hmm. world. So that's the first, that's kind of the first um, thing that happens. And then from there, we really can get into some incredible healing. And I, I think that that's one of the biggest things that happens is you take that exhale and you realize, okay, I'm with, I'm with women and that feels really good because mm-hmm. that's one of the ways that I feel, you know, some of the powers that be have controlled things is, you know, you, you alienate the, the women from each other, you alienate men from each other, mm-hmm. and then we lose some aspect of this kind of primordial power as a culture. Mm, I love that. I know that a lot of what you do through the work that you do is sort of retraining or reprogramming some of the 
you alluded to this, like, you know, years and millenniums of, I don't want to say atrocities, but sort of like systemic affronts towards women um, we've got in our bodies and in our brains. I don't know if you want to call them limiting beliefs or, but I know that you, you work with that. And, and what is that about? Like, is it perspective that you give or are they, how are you reprogramming that? And how are you helping women to outcreate some of those long-term thousands of years, you know, old beliefs that I think are still holding us back no matter how much work we do. It seems like no matter how much therapy we get or how much self-help, it seems like we need to go a deeper layer. And it seems like with this technology, as you call it, it seems like it's getting to something. I just don't know how. Well, I think on a very basic level that there are different kind of realms of of how. um, And I think the how is really important because I think most of us are really sick of like going to a spiritual modality or a, you know, satsang or something of the sort and being told, oh, well, it's just about love. But it's like, well, how is it about love? Because you know what? I'm not feeling love right now. I'm feeling like I hate myself or I hate my husband or I hate my children or I hate my job or whatever the thing is. And it's like, I want to know how it's all about love because I'm fucked up right now, you know? Right. Um, And that's something I think how is just like, but it's like my favorite part of the thing because it really is important. We all need a how. We need something that we can like bite our teeth into um, and get going and practice. And, and, and because it does, it takes some effort. If the, it's an inertia equation, if something's been going one direction for whatever amount of time, it's going to really, and I always say the buck stops here because it's going to take some true kind of inertic re uh, kind of momentum going into a different direction um, to change things. And Mm -hmm. so one of the fundamental ways that we do that is through sound. Because you think about all the subtle sounds that we are constantly recapitulating Mm -hmm. about ourselves and about our lives and about our husbands. I always say to the women, just pay attention for like a week of what you're subtly, what you're thinking about your husband because you will be very surprised. It's usually not, oh, he's like the hero of my life and such a good father and an amazing um, creator of our... Be- you know, I mean, it's usually not that. It's usually like, he's a motherfucker because he didn't take out the trash. And, you know, I hate... You. I mean, it's usually a lot of kind of stuff. It's not usually like um, love and light. Um, and so the same thing with ourselves. I say, I say to the women, think, pay attention to the first thought that crosses your screen once you've um, woken up in the morning. Oh, that's a usually good one. It, it's usually not. I am a. I am the essence of. I am the next Botticelli painting. I mean, it's not like I am Venus on the half shell, and I represent the most incredible. Uh, emanation of femininity. I mean, it's never that. It's like, you know, I'm fat, I'm this, I'm that, whatever the thing is. And so that's a, one of the fundamentals is, okay, first of all, pay attention to the sounds that you are habitually creating, subconsciously creating, because sound isn't just a verbal sound. Women mostly communicate non-verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we, we're chit-chatters and we like to talk, but actual, the actual communication is much more nonverbal. And so pay attention to that, and then let's replace that with a higher vibrational frequency. 
so Yogi Bhajan said, victory is the mantra of the Aquarian age. So replace it with victory, replace it with another, it doesn't have to be another language. It can be in English. He had, you know, he gave us lots of English mantras like I am bountiful, blissful, and beautiful. Mm. Replace it with that and see, and just practice. Like without mm. having to do anything else, just practice all throughout just one day replacing the negative thoughts about ourselves and others with I am bountiful, blissful, and beautiful, or victory, something like that. You could do one of our other mantras that are in a sacred language called Gurmukhi, but you don't have to. It does not have to be fancy. You know, English is just as powerful. Mm. And so you start to do that, and you start to create a different vibrational flow in your system, and that will inevitably and very quickly change your perspective on your reality. Hmm. So that's a pro, that's a basic thing. And then of course, all of the kind of meditations where we're stimulating the frontal lobe. When you, when you change the gray matter of the brain, this is now proven in science. There's many really awesome, uh, very prolific scientific studies coming out on the, the meditator brains, you know, people who meditate and what, how the actual structure of their brain is different, how the reactivity of the amygdala and some of the stressor responses and the limbic system and the reptilian brain are totally different. So that's another way we start to reprogram, obviously, through the meditative practices. And then the breath is a major reprogrammer because it actually goes into the genetic structure. It's one of the only things your conscious breath can go into kind of these genetic structures that were formed in utero and start to change those. Mm. So, and then there's the physical practice too. So there's lots of layers of it, but mm. fundamentally I think it's, it's the vibrational codes. Mm. And by vibration and sound, you're actually talking about saying these out loud or thinking them or both? Thinking them. Okay. Yeah, thinking them. I mean, you can say them out loud, but it's but not necessary. They're, they're, it's not necessary at all. You, you're just thinking them. Instead of thinking the thing that you are habitually thinking, which is yeah. something around, I suck, life sucks, and then I die, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Or whatever the, the, the one I always say is, um, same day, or no, same shit, different day, that kind of right. stuff. Like, that's so embedded in our culture. Um or constantly comparing ourselves to the massive broadcast of hypnotic imagery from the uh, media that is, you know, the people who are choosing those images are getting paid a lot of money to create unhappiness. And, and unhappiness is a way to control the masses. Unhappiness, dissatisfaction, self-hatred. I mean, why, why control the masses through military means when all you have to do is make them hate themselves? Right. It's easy. Oh, that's so, so. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying that we're in a time right now, and that it's super exciting for specifically this realm of work and Kundalini. And I agree with you. That's why we really, from the beginning that we started emerging women, that was the yoga that I wanted to introduce. I think particularly because it's juicy. There's something yeah. so juicy about it. You know, I just, I feel like as a feminine being, I feel energetically, you know, just more connected and more intimate when I do some of these practices. So I'm just yeah. wondering if, you know, why is it now? Well, what's lining up for in the world that this practice is, you know, at the right point for really exploding, or it's already exploding, but 
Yeah. What's that about? Well, the prophecy from Yogi Bhajan was that after this kind of portal of uh, 2012, which in many lineages have had, you know, have prophecy around this kind of time stream shift that happened in 2012. And when I talk about this, mine was right around November 2011. Something massively woke up in me. I think a lot of people can point to certain things that happened around that shifting time where this idea of like the second coming of Christ or the ascension of the planet or some of these more new age or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, religious things that we hear or even the Mayan prophecies, my interpretation of that and definitely um, coming from Yogi Bhajan's interpretation is that there's basically a major shift in the polarities on the planet, meaning that there are more and more people choosing to live in a reality of abundance and a reality of um, compassion in a reality of some sort of consciousness practice, even if it's just looking another person in the eye and um, making contact that way, whatever. It doesn't have to be, you know, so formal, but that there, that kind of time stream is one reality. And then the war, fear mongering, control, scarcity, terror time stream is a whole nother reality. Mm-hmm. And the split of those realities is, is a huge chasm. Now we live on a polarity planet. So in one way, it's necessary on this particular planet to have that kind of, you know, polarity. However, um, there is, you see it, it's the reason you're doing your work, I see it, and many, many, many people um, are moving in this direction that it's, there's, a, there's almost a pressure and a um, necessity. It's no longer a luxury to kind of do something that's going to make yourself feel better, but it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, that's, that's moving people towards a different way of, of living and a different way of creating politics and society and their family and their businesses and everything that comes from that. And that's what Yogi Bhajan and some of the other uh, seers called the Aquarian age. And Yogi Bhajan said that those who start to participate in this way of being were, were, you know, in these huge cycles of time and that those who do that are going to rule this planet for 5,000 years Mm -hmm. post 2012. That's Mm -hmm. a prophecy. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, you know, I have my feet on the ground. I'm, I'm on the street and working with people, you know, daily in all sorts of realms of, of existence. And, I can attest that that is what I see from the ground, you know, that that, you know, in every kind of little nook and cranny, people are waking up to something that's bigger than themselves, bigger than their kind of uh, petty concerns and, and worries and anxieties and feeling like, okay, I need to do something with this really precious life and in whatever beautiful, unique way that is for that person. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think regardless, regardless of the frame, meaning like some people are going to a Kundalini yoga class, but I think that this is happening exactly. all over the world. And yeah. I just, A, is it happening fast enough? And B is, how are people living in the fear mongering? How can it only be 5,000 years that 
the happiness and the pleasure and the community and the love is what people want. And then what, they don't want that after 5,000 years? Or what have they wanted beforehand? I mean, it's just so obvious to me that this is the way we should be living. It's, it's the basis of our humanity. So I'm just sort of like confused why this isn't like a snap and we're all changing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's from where we've come in these past, you know, this past kind of um, age, the, the level of confusion, like you're talking about and violence that has been kind of enacted on the, between the sexes and through you know, the, the control frames of religion um, and all of that, that's, that's, that's a big kind of cycle of a, of a hangover. I, you know, that's the word that I use because I feel like that's what, what people are kind of, they're like waking it. up out of a dream. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so it's a big it's a big thing that's kind of circulating out of our consciousness, out of our cellular memory, out of our bodies, out of our um, kind of the the lineages that we all came from. Because a lot of times we're still operating on some subconscious level from some genocide or potato famine or um, right. horrible violence that's been that that is a part of the lineage that we mm-hmm. are were born into. Mm-hmm. So, um, in terms of what's going to happen after five thousand years, you know, I think that remains to be seen. At this point, <laughs> right. it, it I, I do feel time and space are going to change. I do, I, you know, this my intuition is, is we're going to be getting into a whole other kind of realm of time and space and how we live through that time and space. However, in the density of the third dimension, as this world stands now, the question is, yeah, is it happening fast enough? And um, I believe that every person that turns towards some thought of greater humanity, greater compassion in some part of each day, that is uh, going to be pushing us towards the tipping point of um, it you know, accelerating, and I am seeing it, and will it happen fast enough? I mean, good news is, if it doesn't happen fast enough, this was a grand experiment, and things will be refurbished and uh, regenerated, and (laughs) something will will come anew out of the life on this planet and in the universe, but, you know, I'm rooting for us. I'm really rooting for us that that it happens, you know? Yeah. Now, the other focus I was surprised about looking just through your materials and a talk on Rama TV was your focus on business. Now, that's yeah. not something, you know, you go to a yoga class and there's a Dharma talk on business. And I'm curious to see, like, what that intersection comes from within you and how you came to focus on that. Yeah, well... Th- Yogi Bhajan was really clear about this, which was we're householders, and which means that everything that is in an ordinary householder's life is a yogic activity. And this is what Rama is. This is what these, you know, everything Rama, my intention is that this is a place where all integration of all parts of our lives can become resonant and harmonized. Because I, I do feel in the spiritual realms, we get a lot of people who are 
teaching or, you know, spiritual leaders of some sort, and there's some sort of disharmony in their field around the integration of um, the message and the way that they are living their lives and this, that, and the other thing. And so it has been a really important part of my teaching and my own personal practice that every single part of my householder's life be held up into the light, be uh, looked at, and then worked into a way that is in harmony with my spiritual practice, like my, my, you know, more linear spiritual practice, but that all of that, you know, somebody asked me, like, what do you do, like, in an interview, what do you do when you're not teaching yoga? It's like, I'm not, not, I'm never not practicing yoga, and Yogi Bhajan taught very much about if our spiritual life is integrated, then our material life and what he called the orbit, our sphere of influence is integrated into, and those are biofeedback mechanisms. We're not sadhus. We don't meditate in a cave. We don't give up all our material possessions. We're not celibates. It's, we're, we're householders. So everything a part of that is an important yogic activity. So as an entrepreneur myself and as a person who I take it really seriously. Yogi Bhajan said, you have become prosperous if you are um, employing 25 people, if you're helping at least 25 other families. And um, I'm getting close, especially with the opening of the Boulder studio. I'm getting close to that. And that's the, the conscious business practices and conscious creation and contra- conscious entrepreneurialism is putting my money where my mouth is me oh this is so good so you're wait just let me go back here the biofeedback is that if there's a section of your life especially on the business side where you are not i mean you know at a bare minimum prosperous it sounds like for him Mm -hmm. thriving then there is a somehow a breakdown in your whole i guess Field, your existence, like there's something not optimal that's working. Is that what you meant by the biofeedback? Like that's a sign or? Yes, that's what I meant. I want to be clear about prosperity though, because I do think it can be collapsed into our kind of neurotic uh, yes. framework of, of success. When I say prosperity, I mean that there's two streams of thought on the planet, and there's really no gray, there's no gray area here. You're either in a poverty thought form or you're in a prosperity thought form. And it doesn't matter whether you have $2 million in the bank, $20 in the bank, $200,000, it it's all the same problem. And I know this, the more, like, I love this as an equation because it really tickles me. It's such a, it's such a, it's so true as my businesses grow. It's all the same. The problem I had when I was a teenager with 20 bucks in New York City and I had to buy a Metro card and then I had $5 to like buy my food for the week, whatever, you know, that problem is the same problem I have when it's $200,000 or $2 million. However, I decide to relate with that challenge, that, you know, that experience is the same thing. It's all a biofeedback. So that's what I mean by prosperity because... Uh I know, you know, being an entrepreneur, especially in the Western, you know, in America, they make it really hard on you being a small business owner. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm not saying that you have to have a certain amount of money in the bank to be, you know, to be prosperous, but your relationship with that whole mandala, that whole kind of equation is the prosperity. Yeah, well, and I also love this idea of prosperity being how many 
families or how many other householders are you yeah. helping? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I'm all about, you know? Me too. I, mean, I, I really, I've, I measure this. That's why I think Alma's one of the most successful, uh, well, I, I feel she's one of the most successful business people who ever lived. You know, she uses all of her business for nonprofit, but that's a that's prosperity. That's success. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think women in general, and I know that, you know, a lot of men, the whole impact space or impact businesses, you know, those really, there were men pioneered that. So I don't want to exclude them, but I know that women on a mass scale, it's not like a separate type of business to be impact oriented. Women, you know, are just, I, I think there was a, a Merrill Lynch study that was looking at women who were made over $200,000 and they were trying to see like where they would put their money and 90% of them said that they wanted to have a positive impact on the world with their money. And so I think that what you're talking about, thinking of prosperity and success in terms of how many people we're influencing to make the world a better place is... I think, you know, women are going to lead that whole consciousness. I feel that it's definitely a little bit more hardwired in us. And this, yeah. is, this is why I, I, I feel like it's such a precious time the way that the, you know, me and my partner talk about this all the time because part of what's happening, and he loves this, he's really enjoying it, is that, you know, he can hold now a little bit more of a meditative space and a little bit more of a, he doesn't have to be the 1950s hustling uh, kind of breadwinner the way that, uh, you know, has been and with this new shift in the way that women are going to be leading the free world and also being mothers and also being, you know, hot lovers and all the things that we are and are going to continue to develop our kind of relationship with the spectrum of femininity and what it means to be a woman. Um, I think this is allowing men to actually be able to hold a more uh, static and, and grounded space for us to do that. So in, in one way, there's a little bit this kind of tribal energy where men held that space a little bit more um, in those times uh, in civilization and the women were the ones out kind of doing the, the, all the work to generate the kind of uh, culture and society that they wanted to live in. And so right. I feel like they're both, they're, they're just different. They're shifting there's a bit of a shift in the roles, but the groundwork has been laid. And like you said, by men. And so, um, and I, and as women were hardwired in the ma, the mother, we want to take care of other beings. It's just in our hormonal structure, it's a biochemistry. So of course we're going to feel more connected to that, just even on a chemical level. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, fascinating. To see it how is. this is all playing out, you know, it's just, it is. the cosmic feminine is rising. <laughs> um, it just is. Well, I would say I if it. you had, this will be our, my final question for you. A lot of women that come into our, our, our network, um, and we have 50,000 right now, women in our Emerging wow. Women Network. Yeah. And it's fabulous. And so we keep great. going. I know. I'm just like, oh my gosh. And yeah, I think that the common denominator from the people in our audience is that they're feeling something opening up within them and they're emerging and that has an energy of fire. It has an energy of 
new. It has an energy of fierceness because we've committed to a life of alignment. To me, emerging happens after you go through a period of self-awareness, self-realization, and now you want to take that inner alignment and you want to bring it out into the world in some way. And that, mm. hence the emerging. And, but there's, yeah. a, you know, that's, you know, it takes courage. There's a lot of self-doubt. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, you're going through it now with your business. I, you know, I'm going through, I mean, so many women in our network are, you know, they are emerging. And I would ask you, from your perspective, from your, you know, body of work, from your dharma, what kind of advice, and maybe it's the one thing or it's the two things that you have, but what advice would you have for women at the beginning or in the middle of a big emergence? I think fundamentally the, the most sound advice I can give is some sort of taking the, the day into your own mold into your own hands in terms of this is why we do a sadhana practice, which basically translates from good looking into getting up, you know, way the fuck too early and uh, <laughs> taking cold showers and, you know, do the, but that's not what it has to mean. What, what it really, you know, what the essence of it, the practicality of it is, is that in the morning when you wake up, you make a conscious decision about what kind of life you're going to live that day. And then you fit your time stream, the events, the occurrences, the ups, the downs that will, sh that will surely come. That's, that's part of the experience that we came here for. That's why we came. That we will have the ups and the downs and the, the backs and the forths and the, all of it. But we make a decision about the life that we want to live, what we want to give, and how we want to give it in this day. And then we fit the day into that momentum of a decision, of an intention. And and that can look a lot of different ways. Obviously, I come from a certain viewpoint, so there are certain practices in the Kundalini yoga technology that I could give you, but ultimately what it is is you take the day in that first moment, you decide the kind of day you want to have, you create a little conscious breath in that decision, and then you put with that victory, because that's a victory. Yogi Bhajan says, mm. every time you wake up in the morning and you take the day by its hand and you guide it, instead of you being, you know, drawn out of center, I, that, 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 that term is used a lot. And I always tell the women, the era of moodiness is over. Like the whole propaganda of, oh, we're hormonal, we're moody, and we need this pill and that pill, and we're cyclical, and there's something wrong with that, so let's get some, you know, feminine deodorant spray. I mean, the whole, this is, this is a part of the propaganda machine. So if we decide as a woman, as a creator, that creates life out of our own cellular structure, that we're going to have a certain type of day and that day is going to look this way and we're going to give these gifts, we decide that first thing in the morning, you just took a bull by its horn and now you are a commander of time and space. That's what a yogi is. Everything else is just icing on the cake. A yogi is someone who commands the time and the space. Mm. So that, I feel like, just fundamentally, you know, you do that, try it for a week, and see what happens, because uh, there are massive shifts just happen to that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, and I know you're a busy lady moving mountains in the world, and this has just been a real gift to be able to spend this time with you, and we're so looking forward to seeing you at Emerging Women Live in October. That's going to be fabulous. 
I'm so, so excited. And thank you so much for everything you're doing. Bless you for your hard work and your vision and your fortitude. Just really, really want to honor you. Thank you. Okay, much love. See you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you.